Hey everyone, this week we're talking about mental health. So uh, we know that we're entering a tense holiday season where you may uh, have some things coming up with some family, with some friends, with other people like that. And so you may not feel safe to share situations with someone in person. If you don't have somebody to share with, please, please, please send us an email, send us a message. We would love to be that safe place to hear what's going on with you. You're not alone in this. Damn, I'm glad I didn't peek in high school Cause my best days would be in the past I know, I know, I know, I know Looking back, it ain't all bad But damn, I'm glad I didn't peek in high school Hey everyone, welcome to a bonus episode of the Tension Podcast. We are a show that acknowledges most of life and faith is lived in the tension between the two extremes. Each week, we take a look at what many of us were taught growing up in evangelical churches. We weigh it against what our current culture is saying, and we try to find what Jesus has for us in the tension between the two. We have met. My name is John the Corona, and we're joined, as always, by our co-host, Mr. Eric Williams. Eric, go ahead and say hey to the people. Feels kind of weird for you to, like, kick it to me to say hey to the people, because, like, this is, uh, I don't know, kind of a special, almost almost seems like this is going to be one of those, like, uh, Saturday morning cartoon specials. specials. Yeah. Yeah, afternoon specials. or. You know, like this is the one episode of Saved by the Bell where Jesse is taking too many uh, caffeine pills, <laughs> and uh, because and they didn't let him say like, speed. Yeah, right. You know, it's like they obviously wanted to be like it's drugs, but they could only do like caffeine pills. You know, which now would be like Adderall or something else like that. But yeah, so bonus episode that you know should start off with like the where she's like, "I'm so excited, I'm so scared," and then yeah. I don't know why I thought Man, of that. Nineties kids, yeah, nineties. <laughs> Who, by the way, like we're ta- we're talking mental health today, and I got really sad this week because they announced that they're no longer a band. They are oh, calling they, it quits. They're closing so, down, huh? One of my favorite bands. They said something else is coming next, so who knows? But one of my favorite bands, they're done. Two thousands uh, kids. Yeah, if you didn't know, the <laughs> our intro music. It's called uh, "High School" by Nineties Kids. It's one of my favorite songs ever. We've been using it since the beginning, except for that one season we didn't use it, which was a mistake. But anyways, this is not the bonus episode we thought we'd be making this week. We thought we were going to be following up the season with part two of our Q&A, and we're going to get there. That'll probably be next month in December, but something else came up, and I don't want to bury the lead here, so we're going to Tarantino this and tell you the ending, and then we're going to work to how we get there or how we got here. So the big thing is that season nine that was supposed to come out in January, it's going to be delayed a little bit. It's not going to be coming out in January. We're not a hundred percent sure how long it will be delayed. Uh, We're going to do monthly bonus episodes until we get to that point. And all of it's my fault. So Hmm. I like the last part. That's that's where we're starting. You buried the lead on that one. You should have started with (laughs) it's all my fault. Season nine is is going to be delayed. Everything's my fault. I'm I'm to blame for all of it. But um, we're going to get to the why, and you're, you'll see you'll you'll figure it out here in a minute. But um, because of the why, and because this is coming out the week of Thanksgiving, and you all are about to spend a bunch of time with family that you may or may not like. Today, we're yep. going to spend some time talking about mental health medication. And the stigma around both, especially when it comes to inside the church. So that that's we're going to try to tie this back into the faith piece of it. But uh, most of you come from a similar background as us, so I think you'll get where we're coming from. Um, 
the next little bit of this is going to be me telling you why it's my fault. And then Eric and I are just going to talk a little bit after that. We actually don't have notes after I, I tell this little part. So uh, you get both of us off notes today and we'll see where that goes. So but before you go into this, I know, I know you're kind of doing this a little tongue in cheek, you know, about the whole my fault thing, but I want to make sure everybody knows and hears like uh, th there might be a catalyst for something. Um, and I want to make sure that we know that seriously, it's separated from blame. There's no blame or shame when it comes to this, especially what you're about to hear from Jonathan. Uh, I don't, you know, I know we like to have fun, especially me. I like to joke around, but you need to hear kind of the, the GI Joe, uh, the more, you know, aside from me, that's like, <laughs> no, <laughs> like <laughs> I can't even do it without joking about it. But like, um, when Jonathan told me this story or, you know, not the story, but told me what was going on. Uh, there's no blame. There's no shame. There's no judgment. I think that's part of the point of sharing this and sharing it with all of you, because I want, I think it's very easy for all of us when we get into something that you're about to hear to jump right into the, it's all my fault. I did the, you know, and, and take a lot of blame and shame, which again, I, I'm sensing more of the kind of sarcastic uh, diffusing of the awkwardness in the joking from Jonathan, but everyone, well, I also understand there is no, there's no blame or shame when it comes to fault. And I, I think we'll get into this more, but I think the reason I can make those jokes is because I know there's no blame and there's no shame. Sure. So like I can, I can react in the way that I normally would instead yeah. of having to close up and, and feel that shame. Like I know with you and I, there's, there's nothing there. So, yeah. um, and that's I why I wanted our audience, about, which is the way it, I would, it, I would normally yeah, an inside conversation between us where they're like, man, that seems a little, whatever. Like I want to make sure as the audience members know, um, uh, part of when we walk through this, a healthy reaction to, uh, to what you're about to hear, you know, let's, let's talk about that at the end as well, because I, I, I want to make sure it's not just, it's not just us and our story. Um, we're all going to be on the receiving end of someone else's story. You've been on the receiving end of my stories. I've been on the receiving end of your stories. So let's hear what happened from you. Let's break that down. And then I want to in, go into a little bit of, you know, let's talk through what happens when not only you're going through it, yep. but someone shares it with you. So let's go back to September. What happens? Okay. So back in September, it was a Wednesday. Uh, I had to call 911 to my house in the middle of the day because I thought I was having a heart attack. Uh, I was on a call with a client and I started to feel like just really weird. I couldn't catch my breath. There was some tightness in my chest. Just overall, I wasn't feeling good. I actually ended the call early. I, I couldn't tell them I thought I was having a heart attack. So I like made some excuse up that my kid's school was calling me and I had to run really quick. Um, so I got off the call, checked my blood pressure, and it was through the roof. We're talking like the 180s on the top number, which if you know anything about blood pressure, you know that that's way too high. So I waited a few minutes to see maybe this was just a spike, uh, checked it again, and it was still way too high. And most of you don't know this. There's no reason you would know this. But my grandfather died because he had had silent heart attacks his entire adult life. So... That's something Which that's the concept of that is just freaky was, to think about in general, like silent heart attack. What yeah. do you, what? <laughs> that's just something else I have to worry yep. about. So for all of you that are, uh, you know, maybe some hypochondriacs <laughs> here, don't WebMD any of this. Yeah. Okay. Um, so since I was 30, I've been having like EKGs twice a year. I've been, uh, I go to the doctor for a yearly physical and then a six month checkup to get all my blood work done and all that. I'm overweight as well. 
and I have high blood pressure. So it's like, I just want to know. I've always said that I want the data there. So if something were to happen that is genetic, that I would at least know within six months that something had happened. So that idea is has always been in the back of my head. So when this happened, I called my wife, who was a nurse, and I asked her what I should do. She suggested, like, should I call 911? Should I do something else? She suggested I call my cardiologist because they'll have someone to triage and um, they'll tell me what to do. So I called my cardiologist. They took a message like, all right, something I'll call you back. I'm like, okay. Um, I'm kind of freaking out here, but I'm waiting on a phone call back from the cardiologist. A few minutes later, someone called me back. They asked me a few questions. And then they said another person would call me back. So I'm in the middle of this freak out moment and waiting for phone calls. But I, I didn't know if I was dying or not. So instead of waiting for another callback, I called 911. Uh, EMT showed up before the paramedics and they ran me through a series of tests. My heart was pumping good. My blood pressure was coming down. They checked my blood sugar. That was good. So there was, there was no signs of a heart attack present when they were here, which was a good thing. When the paramedics actually got here, they gave me an EKG in the back of the ambulance and everything looked good. By that point, my blood pressure was back down. Uh, heart was beating good. They asked me a few questions and uh, talked about what led to that point. And their conclusion, both the EMTs and the paramedics, was that I had an anxiety attack. And that was new to me because I knew what a panic attack was, but I didn't know that an anxiety attack was different. I'd never felt or dealt with anxiety before. I didn't realize I was feeling that with so much of what was going on. But everything that I had experienced that day checked every box for what was an anxiety attack. So that was a new experience for me back in September. So the, the following week, I did some follow-up with my doctors to rule out anything cardiac related. Um, I already had my yearly physical the next week. We went and got an echo with the cardiologist. Everything looked good. So thankfully, um, from a, from a cardiac standpoint, everything was good. Everyone's in agreement. This was probably anxiety related. So I started doing some work to try to figure out like, what is causing all of this anxiety? Why am I feeling this? Especially if I didn't, if it snuck up on me the way that it did. And what I realized was back in June. So this would have been three months before this happened. We'd been working on our financial planning and, um, tried to increase my life insurance. Last time we increased my life insurance was when I started my business. It was based off of what I made at the church job. Eight years later, making significantly more money. Like I wanted to up that in case something were to happen. Um, but I was denied for that because of my weight. I, I was above the scale and the life insurance companies would not increase it for me. So in the back of my mind, I've already got this idea of the silent heart attack thing that I've been doing the medical side to try to keep up with. And now I have the thought that if something were to happen that I couldn't, I wouldn't have enough to take care of my family if I was gone. So, so that was going on without me realizing it. And then, um, there were some medication side effects I was feeling that was causing some like tingliness in my chest. We up, we, we changed some of my medication back in the summer as well. So combine all that, this idea that if something were to happen, I wouldn't have enough to take care of my family. I'm feeling some tingliness in my chest, not knowing what's going on. And so what ended up happening was this self-fulfilling ball of anxiety that just kept going and going and going without me realizing what it was. 
until that day in September where it all came to a head. So that's how we got to September. Leaving September, we dialed into my medications a little bit. I, I was feeling good. Things felt great. I wasn't feeling the tingliness anymore. I knew the anxiety stuff. I knew the mental side of things to work through it if I needed to. Um, so I felt really good for about a month. And then in early October, we had over the course of two or three weeks, a few things that were pretty traumatic out of the blue happen. Uh, one night in the middle of the night, our dog died who she was 11 years old. Nicole and I got her three months after we got married. So she'd been around, uh, the entire part of our marriage. We had to take her to the emergency vet in the middle of the night. And we barely got her there before she died of natural causes there. So that was pretty traumatic. A week later, uh, my wife's grandma had a severe stroke and, um, they took her to the hospital, performed emergency surgery, and, um, she recovered perfectly. The doctors were saying, surgeons were saying she was a miracle patient. Like they had people come by her room and say, Hey, if you want to see a miracle, come see her. So we thought she was out of it until the next day when an entirely different thing ended up killing her. Like in a day, Nicole woke up like five thirty in the morning to a phone call saying, Hey, you need to get to the hospital. Something happened. And by the end of that day, she was gone. And then there was just some, you know, those, those extended family issues that everyone has, but we don't like to talk about publicly that bring us a bunch of stress and anxiety that that was going on as well. So, uh, for someone who had a sudden fear of dying develop a few months earlier, it was a lot of unexpected death all at once. So after that, the anxiety started to come up again. And the good news was I knew what it was this time. Like I could, I understood the feelings. I knew that, um, cardiac wise, I was okay, but I was still feeling this inside of me. Like things were trying to get out and I had the mental tools to work through the mental side of it, but my body was holding on to everything. Um, I knew I was okay, but all those other signs were still there. And sleeping became a major issue. There were nights that I couldn't go to sleep till three, four o'clock in the morning. Uh, I was exhausted. I felt like my insides were trying to get out of me half the time. And so I realized at that point that I couldn't get past all of this on my own, even though I knew the breathing techniques and the mental techniques from counseling, uh, it got to the point where I needed extra help. So that's when I called my doctor and she prescribed a low dose anxiety medication that, which that took some work and we'll get to this after I finish the story, but that took some work inside of me just to be okay making that call to get the medicine. Um, I talked to a therapist uh, through it who she told me that um, after everything that happened, what was going on inside of me was that my body was stuck in fight or flight. So even though I knew what to do, my body was stuck and couldn't stop the hamster wheel. And the thing that she shined a light on that, that really changed my perspective on a lot of this was I learned how much the good stress in my life was actually making the, it was escalating the bad stress. So while all this was going on, we were super busy as a family doing a lot of stuff that we really enjoyed doing, but without the ability to rest, the things that I loved and the good stress, those were having a negative impact on my body, which made the effects of the anxiety feel that much worse. So I tell all of, you, all of you that because about a week ago, um, Eric and I had already planned season nine. We'd set up the recording schedule. We were supposed to start recording this week. 
Uh, we were going to record two episodes this week. One of them was called, we need to talk about the new Pros prosperity gospel. And the other was called uncomfortable questions about race, religion, and politics that was scheduled to come out on Martin Luther King day. And if you've been listening to us for any amount of time, you can imagine how excited we were to record those episodes. Uh, they were right up our alley. Like I was, I've been thinking about those two episodes for a while. Uh, but when I sat down and looked at my calendar and realized I had to write two shows in one week and then we had to record them and then I had to edit them and then I had to do all the things that go into every show, I started feeling the anxiety again. And that's when what the therapist said came back to my mind about the good stress is keeping me in fight or flight as well. So that afternoon I text Eric and I, I told him everything I just told you. Um, Eric, you knew some of it, some of you didn't know, but I told you at that point that I think we needed to push season nine back a little bit just to give my brain and my body some time to rest and work through whatever is going on to your credit, like right away, like you were supportive and like, you gave like some really good thoughts back for that. So that's why we're pushing the season back. We're still going to do some episodes in the meantime, probably once a month, um, because for me, that's fun and that's not stressful. Um, but it's not going to be our normal rhythm for a little bit. We're not sure how long that'll be. But uh, for the next once a month, for the next few months, you're going to get an episode from us until I work through whatever is needed to work through right now. And I'll, I'll say today as we record, like I feel great. I had some doctor's checkups yesterday. All my vitals are looking where they're supposed to be. Like, I feel good. I just don't want to rush back into things and be do the typical guy thing of, oh, I feel good for five seconds. Let's forget everything we've just been working on and go right back into the problem and take on too much. So that's that's the story that got to where we are today. That's the background for why I wanted to talk about mental health, why I want to talk about medication, the stigma around it, and all of that. So. Um, the next little bit is just gonna be Eric and I talking. I, I don't really have any direction for where I want this to go. Um, but Eric, as you hear all that, what comes to your mind first? Well, yeah, I'll ask a couple of questions. First of all, I've got a couple of things that I want I want to mention that I think factor into this. Um, you know, I just took some some notes here, but I think at first it's it's something to acknowledge. Like for those of you that been listening for a while and if you know both of us you probably already know what the dynamic is jonathan does the lion's share of the work the actual work from editing and and putting together an outline on this and so you know it's it is one of those things that the immediate response uh from me was like oh yeah i mean you're the one carrying most of the load here so whatever you need man like we're gonna we're gonna make it work like i'm the how how incredibly uh, uh, lacking self-awareness and, I don't know, uh, narcissistic would it be of me to be like, well, oh, come on, well, it's not that hard. It's not hard for me. I don't understand why it's so hard for you. I realize like, I'm not facing the same level of pressure when it comes to these episodes as, as Jonathan is. So, uh, again, to people that know us, that probably comes to know as no surprise uh, on, on my end, especially. but. One of the things that, um, you know, I recommend a, a book to read because, you know, this is really something that, that's come for me is uh, the book, The Body Keeps the Score. It's by Bessel van der Kolk, I think is his name. I butchered it. But he's got a quote in an interview he does about the book. He says that trauma is a deeply communal problem. We are fundamentally social animals and trauma 
profoundly affects people's capacity to get along with others and be a cooperative and enjoyable member of the tribe. As like, for so many of us, trauma, anxiety, I mean, because what you went through is you've gone through a couple of traumas, whether they're major or micro, it doesn't matter. You, your body has taken on and your mental state has taken on traumas. And it's like, for so many of us, when that trauma comes up, it's, it's, it's natural, I think, because what we're conditioned in our capitalistic, Western, individualistic, bootstrapping American society to be like, well, I'm going to bury that deep down because I need to be the best functioning version of me in order to, you know, in order to function in society. When in reality, it's like trauma is going to profoundly affect your capacity to get along with others and be cooperative and an enjoyable member of the tribe. And I think as we go into Thanksgiving, how many of you are going to be sitting in a room with somebody in your family that's like, yeah, you know, aunt so-and-so just freaking go to therapy, right? Like <laughs> you, the reason why the two of you are arguing is because you, you guys need to just, you need to go to counseling. Like our whole I, Thanksgiving. I'm going to the beach cold. the day this comes out to avoid all of that. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, or I don't want to do that. I'm, go, I'm going to the beach. Like, I'm out of here. Yep. Yeah. You're avoiding family situations or you've, you've set up healthy or non-healthy boundaries in front of other people because you're like, man, the bottom line would be if they fix their trauma. And honestly, if you kind of fix a little bit of yours, like you'd be able to get along better. And so this is a serious issue. So, but the question I want to ask for you is like, talk through, I mean, I know what my experience is when these things happen, but because we're talking about you, I want to make it, you know, it's not about you, Eric. So I'm going to talk about you. Uh, what, what is, what was your experience going on on um, when these things come up and you start to make those decisions on, um, I know I need to make boundary changes. I know I need to like, you know, in, in uh, what would it be in, in sports, they call it like load management, you know, for pitchers and for running backs. Like I need to alter my load that I'm taking. Uh, but I also have a sense of, I don't know, pride or shame or whatever. Like talk through a little bit of, of that um, scenario. So there were a couple of things with that. Um, I knew I needed to create more margin and more space um, just to give my body some time to chill out. And which that's hard when you have kids soccer games and like all the other things planned. So like one of the things for that, that I, I started doing and my kids didn't understand it, but maybe one day they will. I mean, I talked them through it, but we began leaving a lot earlier for stuff because or getting ready for things beforehand because I didn't want to be rushed leaving the house. Like I knew that, that, that stress of like, gotta get out the door, gotta go, gotta go, gotta go was impacting how I was feeling. So like we would leave 10 to 15 minutes earlier than we needed to so that we could get there earlier so that we weren't rushed. That was one of the things I had to do. I had to cut out some things that, <clears throat> excuse me, that I really enjoy, but I had to find the margin somewhere. So like for the, for the month of October and a lot of November, we did church at home. Uh, I live about 25 minutes from my church. So it's not like I just get up and go down the street, go to church and come back. It, it's an extra hour of drive time uh, that takes up part of our Sunday. And I love my church to death, but it's just like I sitting on the couch watching church. Like, I don't think that's long-term. Like I, I think, online church is a good thing for when you need it, but it's not like 
It doesn't replace the long-term in-person going to church, but it was there for me. So I, I texted my pastor one day and told him that I was glad that we had that. I'd never experienced it for that reason before. Um, he's like, well, I'm glad you told me because I thought I was going to have to send the awkward text to where you've been. Just uh -huh. like, he put a smiley with it too. But like that, that was one thing. Like I haven't gone to the gym in a month or six weeks or so because to do that, I had to rush through work. I'd have to go like get to the gym, work out, get that done as quick as possible because then I had to get the kids to soccer practice or dance class, or whatever. So it was just another thing that I was rushing through. And as much like as much as I miss going to the gym, that was one of the things that just some something had to get deleted for a little bit. And unfortunately, two of the things that I enjoy most, church and the gym, both ended up being that thing. Thankfully, as I've worked through it, like after Thanksgiving, both those are starting back up. Like I have I've built the capacity with sports ending um, to do that. The other piece of it, though, that I don't know if this is where you're going, but this is where my mind goes, is the medication piece of it. I had to, to, in my world, I don't know if this is the world you grew up in as well, but in the Christian bubble I grew up in, medication is seen as even weaker than therapy. You can talk to somebody, but my God, if you need to take some medication to feel better, something's definitely wrong with you. Like you can't figure that out on your own. And so as big of a champion as I am for th counseling or uh, where I would tell other people just like medicine's okay. Like f I didn't realize the stigma I would have to work through in my own brain that it was okay to, to use the medical help through medication um, to do that. And so that, that took, I get probably took me a few days once I decided, realized, Hey, I probably need to get on something before I actually made the call because I had to work through it mentally to be okay. Asking for that type of help. Yeah. Yeah. I think in, in these situations too, you know, I'm glad that you brought up the, First part too, because like, I think there's a, a an anxiety about doing things to reduce your anxiety. You know what I mean? That's that that um, that's that. You know, I don't know. It's not self fulfilling prophecy as much as like it just feeds into itself over and over again. Because you know, I'm sure there's people that are listening now that either you've been in a situation or you are now, or it's like, well, man, that that'd be great for me to to pull back, but. I'm a single dad or I'm a single mom or I'm the stay at home one or I'm responsible for this or I'm the only breadwinner. I'm the, you know, there's all these different or things. What would someone like, think well, if I did that? Yeah. Or what would somebody think? It's like, not only do I have these responsibilities, but I, what would somebody think when in reality it's, it's just, it's very similar to why on, on the airplane, they tell you, you put your oxygen mask on you before assisting anybody else around you, because if you're not actually receiving what you need to function, you're not going to be healthy for anybody else. And that sounds so cliche. Hey, but... let me interrupt you real quick. Yeah. That's something I intellectually knew. Sure. But when put in the situation to have to deal with it personally and emotionally for the first time, there was a gap between what I intellectually knew to be true and how I responded to that that was unexpected. Yeah. Why is that? I don't know. I, I I think part of it's that stigma of like, I, it costs me nothing to tell you 
the overall mm-hmm. you to to do the thing that I know to be true. But to do it myself, there are stakes and results and consequences um, personally. And so yeah. it actually costs me something to to do the things that you know to be true to do. And if you've never done those things before or never experienced those things before, uh, they feel a lot bigger and a lot harder than they actually are until you actually do them. Because now looking back, it's like, oh, that's easy. Like one, yeah. once I once I asked for the medication for that, it's like, oh, okay, I like I see how that works. Like I understand. Like it's not that big of a deal. Like my doctor's not going to judge me. My yeah. my wife doesn't judge me. Like my friends who know about it, they're not judging me. It's like, oh, so that boogeyman I created in my head actually wasn't there. It's because of all that, like, you know, we talk about like whether it's scripture or whatever, or we're negotiating with the text or we're trying, you know, we're making it work for us. The same thing is like, um, un- unless you are on the intellectual side where you're like absolutely no medication because God and prayer and, you know, or self actualization is the only thing you need. Great. Like if you're on that side, I respect that. I, I don't believe in it, but I respect that. But like, if you, if you have any sense of, um, when I have a headache, I'm going to take a Tylenol. But when I'm overwhelmed with anxiety, I, I can't take any medication for that. that. That's intellectually dishonest. There must be something wrong with you. Or if you have high blood pressure and your doctor prescribes you with blood pressure medication, you will happily take that or a statin or whatever else. If you're going to happily take those things and then turn around and when somebody says anything about there's a chemical imbalance in your brain or we need to have your receptors release more serotonin, like whatever. And if you go, no, 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 can't do that. Like that to me is intellectually dishonest. Or if your justification is, well, you should be able to figure this out by yourself. Otherwise you're not a real Christian or you're not a real man, which I'm excited to talk about what biblical masculinity looks like next season. Anyway, or, you know, anything else like that, I'm going to look back and go like, well, okay, then I don't want to see you pop a single Tums. I don't want to see you take caffeine to get yourself going in the morning. I don't want to see you take a Tylenol. Because that all, like, you should be able to just fix it all on your own. You, you shouldn't have a walker. You know, your, your grandparents shouldn't have that. You shouldn't be able to, you know, anything. Shoes, take your shoes off, take your socks off, walk around in the bare feet like Adam and Eve and the good Lord gave you. Like, that's fine. Oh, you, you're a little cold? You're a little cold? Uh, God couldn't provide the warmth of the Holy Spirit to warm up your body? You're going to put on a coat, you sissy? Like, you see how dumb that is? That's just, uh, sorry, I'm soapboxing here. I got to stop. But like, that's just how dumb it is. You're you're right in that intellectually, the argument you're making is 100% correct. Yeah. But there's those little things called emotions that generate, like societally, definitely, but religiously, our generation and the generations before us were never given the tools or the space to work through. So now we're all in our thirties and forties and we're having to work through this on our own with all the baggage that we, that has been built up to this point. And that makes it so much hard because there's so much more to chip away and to like different layers you have to take off. Like there's not only the backpack of baggage, but then your jacket has stuff in it. That's, that's holding you down. And then your, your pants have rocks in them that are just pieces that you've picked up along the way. So like, you're having to pull all these little things out to get to that point because of the way that 
and I'm going to give credit. I I don't want to come across the wrong way. I don't think the generations before us who taught us did it maliciously when talking about mental health. I think they did the best they could with the tools they had. They simply didn't know any better. Mm. And so like medication to them was the last resort because they didn't understand science the way that we do now, or only the crazy people needed medication then. But now like we've done, like, the way science has increased over the last 15, 20 years, we know so much more. So intellectually, it's like, no, this is why you do that. Like, there's nothing wrong yeah. with you. Or maybe there is something wrong with you, but it's not your fault. It's just mm-hmm. things happen. And biologically, this is what's happened to you. So this thing was developed to help that. It's like, oh, okay. Maybe God does do a lot of his work through human beings. And his miracles of today are through some of these medication and the, the advances in the medical field. Yep. Yeah. I mean, even just mental health as a study is relatively new and, you know, you're talking about our parents and our grandparents. Um, let's go back to world war one, right. Which is probably thinking that's probably where our grandparents were influenced by people from world war one, right. Or great grandparents, whatever. You had a you had a coining of a term shell shock that hadn't nobody knew what that was at the you know but we know now that that was like pretty much PTSD anxiety a response for trauma and you know if you look back there uh, men with like soldiers with shell shock here's how we reacted to them in World War One they were put on trial and sometimes even executed I got a statistic here in the British Army alone two hundred and forty thousand counts of court martial for shell shock right and uh they sentenced three thousand three thousand of their own men to death three thousand only 346 were carried out but it's like you get uh you get executed for literally executed for desertion cowardice or quitting a post without authority without authority like all those things that are oh there was a major trauma my brain can't handle it but the idea that we are now going to take you through the judicial system and the penalty for that is death. Think about how that set up future generations going through World War One, going through World War Two, going through Korea, Vietnam, all of these war things that are happening. And what does that do when dad comes home or grandpa comes home or, you know, you hear about, you know, great uncle so-and-so who had a little thing happen. And, you know, what do we, we say things like, oh, the war changed him or this or that he came back and he wasn't the same. And, You know, it's like even the disdain looked upon by people who have a legitimate trauma response. Like you're literally being shelled and threat of death. And then you come out of it and it's like court martial. It's your fault. Think about how bad that is. And over time, we've now started to pick up more and more of an understanding of mental health. And I think part of it is because the mental health issue is more ubiquitous. In fact, I was watching uh, Dave Chappelle. He has a joke about this, or he has a bit, I guess, a bit about it, where he talks about the difference in our society today. He says he can remember in class when the teacher rolls in the the TV and says, uh, we're going to watch the spaceship uh, take off in 1986. This is the Challenger, obviously. We're going to watch the uh, Challenger take off. It's going to be a great day. And it's like for three to four minutes, he says, everything was going great. And then they literally saw a disaster happen on TV blowing up in front of this, you know, elementary classroom and teacher looking around and, uh, what do we do about it? 
And he carries that bid on to go. The difference is now, and for those of you watching on YouTube, you see I'm holding up my phone. We have the challenger explosion every day on our phone. Every day, now that we're connected to the internet, every day there's something else that's tragic that happens that is that is push notifications, pushed to us via push notification that, that shows up on our Facebook or Twitter or threads or whatever. And so it's like we are being shelled and bombarded by these things that previous generations, the, you know, not to lampoon the older among us, but they're looking at us as like, well, it's weak. And, and back in our day, we didn't have to X, Y, Z. It's like back in your day, the only push notification you got was after church in the vestibule when you were all chatting about things or at the white picket fence, you know, like there was no push notification that told you every single thing that's happening that's terrible in the world right now. And there was no like sensationalism in the news that people are dealing with right now. So am I saying that, you know, uh, finding out that uh, Hamas has attacked Israel and, you know, or, or there, we may be going into another recession or the housing market. Am I saying that that's as bad as sitting in a trench getting shelled by the Germans? No. But every single day, these, these trauma experiences are happening to us more and more and more that we didn't have to face a generation or two ago. And we need to have just as good of a resource on the other end to help people who are going through this because we don't want to do the same thing that we did to previous generations, which was court-martial them for having legitimate responses to trauma. And I think when we look at it from a Christian perspective and within the church, I think that there's there's all sorts of strategizing and research going on in the church of how can the church better help with mental health? And there are going to be answers from people smarter than us that come out. There are going to be theories and ideas from people who like, they know the ins and outs of this better than we ever will. And I'm looking forward to the days when that does come out. But for now, I think the way it starts is with all of us collectively, like not just saying it's okay to not be okay. Cause that's a, that's a really catchy thing to say. And it's easy to say, but showing others that it's okay to not be okay, especially in the church. I remember yeah, let, a let's couple go years to that ago. Let's talk about okay. what does it look like to receive that news? So you've heard it from others. You've heard it from me. I've heard it from you. What, what do we need to tell people? Because on one hand, it's like having, having the bravery and the courage to say something to someone is super important. But the reason why many of us don't is because we don't, we, we've either had experiences where the person on the receiving end has not been gracious to us, or we've had other bad experiences. What, what can we do as recipients of someone else's story to help them? What was it for the people that you've shared with that helped you feel more uh, secure in the ability to share and the ability to make these decisions that were going to impact others. As simple as it sounds, one of the, the best responses I got was when I told my pastor what was going on, his response was, thanks for telling me that. Like he thanked me for telling him. Because, and we have the relationship that I, I know what that thankfulness goes into. Like, I knew that his thankfulness was because he's like wrapped inside that text message where he said, thank you was, thank you for trusting me with this. Thank you for knowing that I can, that I am on your side for this. And so 
he, and this might be my personality as well, but he didn't make me feel there's no judgment. He didn't make me like, he didn't do the, Oh man, I'm so sorry. You're going for that. I hate that for you. Like the, the babying that sometimes happens in that situation. It was a, Hey, thank you for, for bringing me in. Thank you for being vulnerable enough to tell me that. Let me know how I can help. I'm here for you with whatever we can do. And so part of the anxiety for me was we haven't been in church. I don't want my spiritual leaders to think negatively of me. And when he said thank you and showed that he understood, it's like, oh, okay, he gets it. So it, it wasn't this big grandiose response. It was just a like, no, like, thanks for telling me. I've had two or three people tell me the same, like, say that same thank you, and I didn't realize how how accepting and freeing it was for someone to just say, "Hey, thanks for trusting me with that." Like, that went a long way. I don't know if that's the answer for everyone, but for me, that's the first thing that comes to mind were the people who responded like that. Because I think you said you said something really similar to me as well when I told you it was like, "Hey, thanks for telling me that." And then we, then we went on and talked through it after that. Yep. And I think it's such a good reminder for people who are fixers, right? Um, actually for anybody. So you've got, you've got people who are like emotional um, um, empaths and just want to kind of like sit in it with you. And then you've got fixers that are like, let's do something about it. Right. And I'm definitely more of the great. You told me something, you've identified a problem, let's fix it. And I think for both people, you've just identified the empath sitting there and going, Oh, well, let's just, Let's just sit in this like emotion. Babying soup, you, I feel so sorry you know, for you. And let's just kind of simmer a little bit. What do you, you know? Oh, how can I feel with you? And it's like, for some people, that's great in in time. Same thing with like, well, what can we do? How can we actually fix it? That's great too. Well, like stopping and acknowledging the courage and trust. I mean, you've said all the words like courage. There, there's first of all, there's a faith in the in you. There's a courage in you. There's a trust in the other person. To be able to say that, like, let's acknowledge and affirm that in the people that we hear that from. So I would say for everybody, like, make that your first reaction. What that also does, which Jonathan, I, I think you'll you'll identify with this too, is like that buys you time as a recipient to take a chill. Because when Jonathan shared the this process with me, of what you, you just heard. Right. Yeah. Jonathan shared this with me. What? I mean, it was two months after the stuff had started with you. Yeah. Right. Because September to November. So you've had two months to kind of go through this transformation and you're delivering me um, a, an end product, a fully, you know, a fully thought through, or at least to your point, right? Like a delivered product. And now I don't have the benefit of 60 plus days to go back and get the perspective and feel it all the way through. So for me, allowing my limbic system, my emotional center of my brain to settle and go, oh, okay, how, how am I emotionally reacting to this? Let me just settle down. I'm going to say thank you because I do honestly appreciate that. I appreciate that you gave me the gift of being able to be somebody to be a part of this journey and be a part of, you know, be a part like, like Dr. Vander Kolk says, to be a part of that cooperative and enjoyable member of the tribe situation. It's like, thank you. That gives me a chance to go take a breath. And now we can move through. So that affirmation in the beginning, I think is great. And the realization that the other person is sharing this with you in some ways, because either they trust you or they're giving them, they're giving you an opportunity to be trustworthy. So I also want to receive it in a way 
that honors and stewards your trust. You know, I don't want to like blow this up as if it's like a super, but if we're, if we're evaluating, it's like, yeah, Jonathan, you trusted me with this information. That's an honor. Now I have an opportunity to be trustworthy with this information. So I'm going to thank you and affirm that. And then we can move forward. And I think the step for me was immediately, you know, if I could think back to that, like uh, to kind of nitpick through my thought process was right away. I knew I had to go, okay, this isn't about me, right? Like I've got to remind myself all the time, Q-tip, quit taking it personally. This isn't about me because if I'm not careful, and this is nothing against you, but it's like, if I'm not careful, anything you say to me is going to be like, oh, well, Jonathan doesn't think what we do is valuable or uh, he doesn't think I'm holding up my end of the bargain or he wants to quit on us or he doesn't like me or whatever, you know, all the dumb things that go on in my own head. And I'm like, none of that. I didn't think any of that at the time, by the way, but that's like, that's where I could go or it's like, but none of that is helpful in the situation. And so to take a step back to go, okay, remember this isn't about me. Don't take it personally. Great. Okay. So then that gets me into the mindset of, Jonathan says, you know, he's, he's asked a couple of key things from me, which is we're going to kind of adjust our recording schedule and step back on some things. It's like my mode needs to be open-handed to receive, to say, yeah. I, and I think I said that to you, like the second thing was like, first of all, whatever you want, we're going to do. Cause I care about you and your, you know, I care about you, your mental health and your load management and you as a dad and as a husband and as a, you know, as everything. So it's like being open-handed. I think that's another piece is affirming your relationship with the other person. Cause I know when I've shared things with people and I've shared things with you, you thank me for sharing. And then you'll say to me like, Hey, I want you to know I'm with you, you know, or I see you or like nothing that happens now is going to change our relationship. Whatever that line is for you is super important for somebody as they share, because you're able to like, don't leave that unsaid, put that on the table. Well, I think in, in the conversations yeah. you and I, like you and I have had about like from your side of things, when you've yeah. called me about stuff going on, like one of the things I've always tried to do, cause I'm a fixer as well yeah. is I also go to like, all right, Hey, what do you need from me? Right. Are yeah. you just like, do you just need me to sit and listen or yeah. are, are you in the point where you need ideas and you don't know what to do? Right. And so by like, I should, I, I affirm, I thank you for you trusting me. And then it's like, when I, when I came to you, I already had an idea that I wanted to do. Yep. So you could go straight with that. A couple of times when you've come to me, it's like, Hey, I need to talk. Yeah. And it's I just like, need okay, to get this off my chest. It's like, okay, Eric, what do you, what do you need from me? Do you need ideas or are you, are you just processing? And a couple of times you've been like, I just need to process through this. All right. All right, cool. Or I'm I'll say like, questions. I just want to know I'm not crazy. You know, I want somebody else to give me <laughs> right. Or like, here's where my mind is going on this topic. I need an outside perspective because I'm too far in it. So that's a little bit mm -hmm. of fixer, but it's also like, I need you to listen to me and I need you to hear me out. What, what's really valuable for me is to talk it out and then to get somebody to say, that's what I see as well. Or have you considered this or man, it's not as bad as what you're thinking or, you know, whatever. And so those are, those are some valuable keys to, to figure out before you jump into the conversation with somebody. So let, well, let's take it here because here, uh, again, not to lampoon the church. And I know, you know, especially some, when you're posting this on Facebook and stuff like that, you got you, some of your Facebook contacts will jump in and be like, well, you're only just taking a dump on the church. Another negative thing about blah, blah, blah. Okay, great. Whatever you move along there. There's more, you know, there's another thing you could watch on your phone. Go for it. Um, 
But like what happens, ten, what tends to happen on the negative side in the church too often is we respond with a definitive answer to someone's pain or problem, right? You got a scripture, you're going to give them back. You got to, you know, gonna, well, we're going to take it to Jesus. We're going to pray. We're going to this, we're going to that. Yes, that is helpful, but in context and in the right time, right? So that's the other piece that I think this is so important to ask. What, what do you want me, what, do you, where, what role do you want me to play here? I could do this, I could do this, I could do this. I know for my family and my in-laws and other people that have had like traumatic church experiences, but they still have faith, you know, when they share, I've had an abuse case with this or so-and-so did this to me. If my first reaction is like, well, let's talk about God right now. Ooh, you just shut people down as opposed to like, stop. Let's listen. Let's establish a good start here, figure out where we need to go. And then when we're in like solution, problem solving, I need inspiration mode, that's where we can start to bring in, here's what we need to do, or here's a scripture, or here's a this, or let's pray about that, or whatever else. When we respond right well, I away. I think with even, we can even take a cue from Jesus on that, because if you look through the gospels, Every single time that he confronted someone or had, like, you think of any sort, woman at the well, um, Martha and Mary after, jo after Lazarus died, a uh, rich young ruler, or a woman caught in adultery, any of those things, before he said anything corrective to them, he first acknowledged their humanity and what they were experiencing from an emotional and human standpoint. And then he pivoted from there but he didn't sh the, his first response was not to turn things back to scripture or spiritual things and he's the one who created us all like if anyone had the authority to immediately go to scripture or to go to spiritual it was jesus but his first response was never to do that it was to acknowledge and empathize the humanity of the person they were dealing with or he was dealing with. And only after that did he then push it back towards scripture or spiritual things. And I think one of the things in the church that we can do a lot better at is taking a cue from Jesus and doing it that way. When someone comes to you and you know that when they have built up the, the confidence or the courage to come to you and tell you something they are struggling with, like, to immediately turn it to spiritual things is directly opposed to the way Jesus handled it himself. He didn't give us a playbook of step one, step two, step three. But if you look at the, the totality of his ministry, he acknowledged what they were going through first. He let them know he understood what they were feeling and empathized with them. He didn't say it was okay. He didn't justify what was going on. He just, hey. I know how you're feeling. I know how awkward it is to sit here at a well at in the middle of the day. No one does that. You're here because you didn't want to be with the other women because you didn't want to hear what they were saying. I see you. I know what you're going through. I understand that. And then he turned it spiritual. So if we're talking about how to, how to make this more, uh, to, to take away the stigma around all of this inside the church, it's to be more like Jesus, which sounds so freaking basic. But yeah, again, stop quoting Jesus, 
before you start acting like Jesus. Like if you're not going to act like Jesus, but you're going to quote him, then I think you're doing it backwards. I, I think you're exactly right in that case is like, can we, uh, you know, can we do what Jesus did was, which was acknowledge the person in front of us rather than the point he was trying to make. And I think any of the time that we respond in those ways that are, uh, you know, less than ideal, I know for me, it usually comes down to an insecurity in me. Uh, if I didn't respond to you with grace and with understanding and with love and care, it's because I'm afraid of something, right? I don't want to talk about anxiety because I might get anxious. I don't want to talk about what you got going on because it might affect me. I, you know, I don't want to admit that taking medication for mental health is okay, which I do, you know, like, I don't want to admit that that's okay. Cause then maybe, you know, I'm going to have to admit that I've got to do something about it, right? All of those things are selfish, self-centered, fear-based things for you as the recipient when in reality, like none of that is at play right now. So my big tip is always like quit taking it personally, quit getting defensive. And some of you are going to be get defensive and going, well, I'm not defensive when they share. You, in a way you are, you're protecting something that doesn't need to be protected. When in reality, it's like, I can get rid of, I can step aside and I can acknowledge the person in front of me, no matter what. Well, I, I think the thing we were talking about earlier with the thank you, the thankfulness on the front end, that gives you the beat you need to work through the, oh crap, I got to fix this right away. Like the weight that comes with someone sharing with you, taking that half a second to thank you. I appreciate you telling me that gives you the emotional bandwidth to then not react right out of emotion, but to bring that back in and say, okay, I appreciate that. Now, what do I do next? And instead of feeling like you have to respond right away. For sure. And it also helps, you know, because some of us just, we don't know what to say or, you know, you get the big eyes or something else like that. And then like already that initial reaction from someone who's vulnerably sharing puts them in an awkward spot where it's like, if you just know in the back of your mind, anybody comes up to me and says something, first thing I can do is I can, first, I want to thank you, right? There, your first reaction is at least neutral, if not positive towards the person sharing. So we could keep keep this going for a while. We might come back and revisit it, but we, we're 55 minutes into this and uh, we try not to go too much longer than this. So uh, we are going to close it down right here. Uh, feel free if you have any thoughts or comments or questions or you want to continue this conversation, uh, you can reach out to Eric or me. Eric is at Eric W712 on all the major platforms. I am at Jonathan underscore Corona on them as well. Uh, next month in December, we are going to try to do part two of that culture war Q and a. So if you have any more questions that you haven't sent in yet, send us on social, or uh, you can email them to hello at tensionpodcast.com. Uh, we know that this week it's great for some people. Some of you aren't looking forward to the family stuff, but hopefully this conversation helped you. If you know of someone who you think would benefit from this conversation, uh, share this episode with them, whether it's podcast or YouTube, uh, because we do this because we want us all want you all to know that you're not having to deal with these questions and to live in these tensions all by yourself. So thank you for listening. Hope you have an incredible Thanksgiving to all of our friends in Canada and Europe and Australia. Uh, sorry, you got to work this week. But we're taking the week off. We're, we're going to eat a lot of food. And then uh, we will see you again in December. Have a great week, everybody.
Tesco.